Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. I'll be reading out of the New King James Version. And it says this, now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel and none went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, everybody say see. See. It's amazing because the Lord already seen it. Joshua didn't see it. And this is often times, this is just a little rabbit trail This is oftentimes God's methodology, is that he already sees and knows the end at the very beginning, but he needs you to partner and see what he sees if he's going to be able to bring about what he sees. Does everybody understand that? And so the Lord said, see, I have given Jericho into your hand, because in the natural, the city was shut up. So he's telling Joshua to see something that's not actually happening in the natural. Somebody say, see in the spirit. Yeah. Before it manifests in the natural, you have to see it in the spirit first. So he says, see, I've given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor, and you shall march around the city, and all you men of war, you shall go around the city once. And this you shall do six days, and seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. Everybody say, the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priest shall blow the trumpets. And then it shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horns. And when you see, or excuse me, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all of the people shall shout with a great big shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall go up, every man straight before him. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priest and said to them, take up the Ark of the Covenant. Say the Ark again. So take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark, there goes that word again, the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, proceed. And the people marched around the city and let him who was armed advanced before the Ark of the Lord. And I'm going to jump down to verse 20, and it says this. And so the people shouted when the, peop- when the priest blew the trumpets. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet. And the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. And the people went up to the city, every man straight before him. And they took the city. Everybody said Amen. First of all, I want to quickly go over and give you a brief background if you're not familiar with the Old Testament regarding the Ark. The Ark of the Covenant looked like a chest. It was about six feet long. It was wooden. It was overlaid with gold. And inside of it, it had the Ten Commandments. It, uh, they were actually broken. <laughs> I think, I'm only laughing because Uh, I know many men of God, especially those who preach on holiness or desire a pure body, a pure church. Uh, I can imagine Moses, the reason 
they were broken is because Moses writes on these tablets, gets the Ten Commandments from God, comes down the mountain, and he sees the people in sin, and he literally throws these uh, stone tabernacles down, and they bro- they're broken. And so basically the Ark of the Covenant was created, and he took these broken tablets and put them inside of this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. Say the Ark of the Covenant. And according to the Hebrew Bible, it was constructed, well, Moses was instructed on how to do it, but it was constructed by the Israelites while they were camping in the desert called the Mount Sinai after they fled Egypt. And I wish I had a picture. Well, there is actually a picture up there. This is basically a small replica of what the Ark of the Covenant would look like. It had angel wings by two angels, kind of covering what would be called the mercy seat. Now, it's called the mercy seat um, because that's where we would be forgiven of sins once, once a year. The priests would go into the place called the Holy of Holies, say the Holy of Holies, and he would sprinkle the blood. Only once a year, the priest was able to go in. And so that was called the mercy seat. There's no chair, but uh, they would sprinkle the blood underneath the angel's wings, and those wings kind of represent the covering of our sin. And so this is what it looked like. So inside there, you had three different items or sacraments, and they were called the broken Ten Commandments. And also Aaron's rod. There was a rod there that had budded supernaturally that was cut off from a tree, but supernaturally it had budded leaves. And then there was a golden bowl, which contained the manna from heaven that God would give while the children of Israel were out in their wilderness. This is how he fed them. And what it was used for basically was weekly, there would be weekly sacraments and sacrimonies that were done in this place called, it's called two different things actually. Uh, some scholars call it the, uh, the tent of meeting and others called it the tabernacle. Say the tent of meeting and the tabernacle. And I believe that we have a photo of what uh, the tent of meeting or the tabernacle looked like. This is kind of a fun, colorful picture of what it would look like. And basically it... Uh, was a mobile church building because they wandered around in the wilderness. God's desire was for them to get right to the promised land. And uh, history tells us, and based on uh, the miles away they were, it was only about 11 days from when they had gone through the sea, when God parted the sea through Moses as he hit the sea with his rod or his staff. It should have taken them only 11 days, but God saw that they were being disobedient, they were grumbling, and they were complaining. So something that took, should have taken them 11 days took 40 years. Somebody say, wow. I don't know about you, but I don't wait, want to wait that long for God's present promises in my life. Look at somebody and say, you want to wait that long? Unfortunately, they grumbled and they complained, and it certainly took them 40 years. So when God got the idea that you guys are going to be out here a whole lot longer than what I intended you to, he had them construct something called the tent of meeting or the tabernacle, and it looked like this, and it was consisted of three different uh, dimensions, okay, or three different sections. The three main sections, of course, on the outer side was all the tribes of Israel. Everybody know the 12 tribes of Israel? You've got Issachar, you've got Judah, and you've got all these different names. They were the sons of uh, Jacob. Say Jacob. They kind of camped around this uh, tabernacle or this tent of meeting. It was comprised of three different areas. The first was the outer court, Uh, It's called the outer court. Say the outer court. 
So the outer court is where they would uh, slay the lamb. There was a large bowl out there or a fire. They would put the, the uh, sacrifice on top of the fire. They would kill it. And that's kind of where everybody could go. It was common ground for everybody. But then once you go just beyond the front door, the front door area, that was called the inner court or the, um, the holy place. Say the inner court. And, or the holy place. But then there was a third veil, and this is, this, there's a third place inside that so-called sanctuary or tent of meeting or tabernacle, and this is the reason why I'm here this morning. There's a third place, but not everybody was able to go there. Only the priest, and he wasn't allowed to go there at his uh, own beckon or his own desires, and this is where the Ark of the Covenant dwelt, okay? And there was a veil that separated that that holy place and the outer courts. And inside the Holy of Holies was this beautiful golden thing that we call the Ark of the Covenant. But above the Ark of the Covenant, this was extraordinary to me, is that they say history tells us based on not just history, but the Bible. How many believe the Bible? We still got people who believe the Bible these days. It says you could physically see the Shekinah glory of God and it would dwell over the Ark of the Covenant. I remember reading, I, I like to read history. I'm a, like a revivalist at heart. Uh, when I re- We all have different streams, right? Like we all have, cert- are attracted to certain things. Like I, I am cold as ice. When I try to go in like certain directions and preach on marriage series, which I don't see anything wrong with that. And I can minister that. And I like talking about, you know, finances. I believe God has done some amazing miracles. I grew up in poverty. Thank God. When I came to Jesus, I didn't have to be po no more. Like I can preach on finances and I love that. But there's a certain grace or there's a certain stream. When I touch certain streams, it's like the Holy Ghost comes alive inside of me. So when I was recently reading of the old Azusa Street Revival, how many have ever heard of the Azusa Street Revival? It was back in 1903. It lasted really from 1903 to 1906. And it's recorded that over 6 million people were touched by this particular revival. When I start reading the historic accounts of these kind of revivals, it's like something begins to happen to me. I come alive. I'm start, you know, I desire to pray. I desire to seek God more. But when I start reading about these, you know, these self-help things that I'm hearing a lot about in church, I just fall asleep kind of like Miguel is right about now. I use that to wake him up. Come on, nudge your neighbor and say, wake up. And so when I read these type of accounts, I come alive. And here's one of the major accounts that I really appreciated about the Brown, or excuse me, the Azusa Street Revival. That in the paper, and, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I've read some of these accounts, I mean, from the New York Times, I've seen old pictures of them. There is an account where the, 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 uh, the ambulance, or the, excuse me, the fire trucks were called because they seen smoke or a pillar of fire above where they were meeting. And they, they would come with all of their hoses ready to hose down and put out the fire only to come there and find out it was just a prayer meeting. So these supernatural accounts begin to happen. But well, that's what was happening at the tent of meeting or the tabernacle. You could physically see the glory of God. As a matter of fact, the glory of God was so strong, what would the priests would do, I don't know if you know their garments, but on the bottom of their garments, they would take, um, what is that fruit called? It's called a, a pomegranate. There's like a, there's pomegranate seeds. And they, would, they, were, they were attached to the tassel of their, of their robes. And they almost act like bells. And so the reason that they had that was is because if that particular priest 
had sin on his life and he went to go minister to the Lord and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat. Uh, once that, when the people, they had, there was a rope attached to him and if they stopped hearing the bells moving after he was doing his sacraments, that meant the priest was dead and they would pull him out by the rope. Did you know that? I believe that there is a fear of the Lord restoring to the church for those who stand in the pulpit these days. Fear of the Lord to live holy. You better live holy. Look at somebody and say, you better live holy. Come on, I tell people all the time, you can wear skinny jeans and still keep them on. Come on, you can live in 2021 and not sleep together before marriage. Oh, I'm preaching good already. Somebody say amen. Come on, you can have a part in your hair and you can go have fun and enjoy life and enjoy people and still live a clean life. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord except he who has clean hands and a pure heart? But God was so serious about and careful about who approached him and making sure they didn't have sin on their lives that his glory would actually kill the priest who had sin. And those who are outside would have that rope attached. They dare not go in there. They would pull that priest out. Do you know what I believe? We're living in a day and an hour. This is a rabbit trail, but I believe we're living in a day and an hour where God is cleansing his body, where he's cleansing the priest of their sin, where he's restoring the fear of the Lord, not, not a fear of, oh my gosh, God's going to hurt me if I don't live right, or he's going to take from me. He's not going to bless me. Not that kind of fear. I'm talking about a reverence, a love, a, a, a desire to so want to please your heavenly father that you'll do whatever it takes to be close to him. I'm talking about that kind of fear, I'm talking about a fear or a reverence. Amen. Come on, say amen to that. And so this glory overshadowed this tabernacle. And why was it important? Not only did the Ark of the Covenant, we're talking about the Ark again, not only did it con contain the holy articles that acted as reminders of what God did in the past, because when you're in tough seasons, can I just park there for one, one, one moment? When you're in seasons of frustration, you have to almost park where God, I don't believe in going back to the past. I believe God only has a, a forward gear and no reverse gear. Amen. Do y'all believe that with me? But sometimes when you're going through hard seasons where, you're, where you can't experience God's presence, when you can't sense his direction for your life, you have to almost remind yourself of what he did to give you fuel to keep going. And that's exactly why the Ark of the Covenant, there's other reasons why. Of course, we know it was meant for the forgiveness of sins and all of those things. But there, were, there was those three things in there to remind the people of God that he still works miracles. There was the manna. There was the, there was the uh, rod that budded. There was the Ten Commandments where God instructed Moses. And, and, and there was this physical presence above the ark that you could see. And, and then I started correlating different scriptures and cross-referencing. I'm a studier. Do I have any studiers in the room? You can critique me after if you are. But, but the Lord started showing me things. And I, and I went to Matthew. So I fast-forwarded thousands of years later. And I, I started reading in Matthew chapter 27. I'm not going to ask you to go there. But here's what it says. Behold the veil of the temple. This is when Jesus died. He was crucified. Actually, he, he began to be crucified. I believe it was at the third hour of the day, which would have been uh, uh, 3, 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And um, it, the Bible says that when they were in the temple, the ground shook and the earth quaked. Does anybody remember this scripture? And it says the veil was rent from top to bottom. So, so they, they had still had the, the, the construct of the tent of meeting in Jesus' day. 
So Jesus would still go minister there. Jesus would still even go to the temple to worship. It's, it's, it was called the Passover. And so they still went through those religious motions. But, but here's what stood out to me, and the Holy Spirit like just illuminated this off the page to me. Because something happened when they were in the tent of meeting. After Israel came out of the wilderness, they went into the promised land, in the year, and I know this because a historian by the name of Josephus, it's, 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 it's also in the Bible, they, they recorded this in, in 500, uh, I believe it was uh, 586 BC, the Babylonians overthrew the Israelites. Are you, are you awake this morning? I'm going somewhere. Look at somebody and wake them up and say, pastor's going somewhere. I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me, those of you who are watching on live stream. In 586, this is before Christ, so B.C., the Ark of the Covenant was stolen by the Babylonians, never to see it again. And so we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 27, when Jesus dies, he ascends to heaven, or actually he descended to hell first, and we all know he ascended, but the veil was rent from top to bottom, and I've heard it preached several times, that we don't have to go to the pastor anymore, and that'll get a hand clap and a shout. You don't have to go to knock on the window of the Catholic's uh, door to ask forgiveness for sins, but the Bible says, my Bible says, the old black preacher's raising up in me right about now, the Bible says that you can come boldly to the throne of grace and obtain mercy, you can obtain grace and all of those things, so so you don't have to wait for pastor to preach for you. But something else beyond that stood out to me in this scripture. It was beyond just, hey, not any, just anyone can go into the Holy of Holies. Not just the priest, but people can go in. And I get that. But I wonder if the reason God allowed the veil to be rent, and can I just say this? I believe that we are living in a day and an hour. The reason why the church is so messed up is because it's God has symbolically is ripping our veil from top to bottom, exposing the weakness of the church. Oh, we don't want to talk about that no more. I believe... Because I thought to myself, oh God, help me preach this. I thought to myself, how in the world would they continue to go through their religious routines when the ark was no longer there? They went through their religious rhetoric, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They went through the religious motions. They still had Passover, even when Jesus was 12. Do you remember that? Jesus was found in the temple and he said, I'm supposed to be about my father's business. He was going through all the motions of his family. That was the Israelites' religious tradition. But I believe that the reason that God rent that veil from top to bottom was to show that Jesus had left the building. And I wonder if the church is living in a day and age and we're going through all of the motions Reinhard Bunke said it like this, speaking of Reinhard, uh, Dean. He said, when you don't have the presence of the Holy Spirit, you're going to need lots of coffee and muffins. You're going to need lots of flyers. Do you know I have intentionally, intentionally, with intention, do you know how much pressure has, been, has come to me saying, Pastor, we should print out flyers? Pastor, we should be knocking on doors? Pastors, we should do this? Pastor, we should do that? Listen, when the Holy Ghost truly shows up, people will show 
And so if I got to spend the next two years, God forbid I don't have to do that. But if I got to spend two more years praying and lamenting and ask for the glory of the God, listen, when the glory of the God comes, they will see the pillar of fire. They will be attracted to the presence of God. You'll hear about some healings. You'll hear about the lame walking. You'll hear about the deaf hearing. You'll hear about people being saved. You'll hear about altars being flooded because people are repenting and coming to Jesus. You don't have to market that. You don't have to market a fire. All you have to do is keep the wind blowing on it and allow the Holy Spirit spirit to do what he wants to do. But I wonder how long the church of Jesus Christ is going to go through her religious motions before we come to this place where we awaken and say, Jesus, the presence of God has left the building. You can be a worship leader and do it without his presence. You can be a minister and minister to people without his presence. You can have a church building. You can have the lights. You can have the fog that looks like the glory of God. And Jesus be nowhere in the building. So today, I want to preach a message called, Let's Bring Back the Ark. Come on, look at somebody and say, it's time. Come on, it's high time to bring back the ark. Minister who is listening to me even right now, bringing back the ark is the key to bringing revival back to our nation. I believe that this message will solve every problem that's represented here today. You may be single in here believing for a husband, believing for your Boaz. You may feel rejected by another church. You may, you may feel, I know that's you. That's why I said it. Just look straight. I won't look at you again because I don't want them to know who you are. My, my knower goes off when people get around me. You may be in this place sick in your body. You may be a minister who's maybe in the last phase of their life and you got one rock left in your sling. Can I tell you, here is the key to the next phase. We, as a people, we have to get rid of our religiosity. We have to get rid of our plans. Our service orders here at this church is no more than a suggestion to God, but we have to bring back the ark that truly contains the presence of God. And can I tell you what brings the presence of God? Holy living, prayer, intercession, the only thing that God gets out of a service or a church service is worship. So yes, we will worship for an hour and a half. God doesn't get anything from my messages. God doesn't get anything from your prophetic gift. Only people get something out of that. But we're not looking to just bless people. We're looking to bless him because we know if we can bless him, his presence will come. And when his presence comes, people get touched. People get touched. Our neighbor gets touched. God begins to bring people from a community and he begins to touch lives. And he don't just stop there. He starts shaking a city and then he starts shaking a state. And then he starts shaking a nation. Come on, how many believe that with me? Hallelujah. Oh, I feel him this morning. And so if we're gonna do that, here's what we have to do. We cannot settle for religion. We have to choose the real over the religion. I heard a song recently and it says, uh, I'm done pretending, I want the real thing. I'm done pretending, I'm done clapping, I'm done shouting, I'm done having prayer meetings and acting like he's there. I'm done trying to come up with something prophetic just to itch people's ears, just to get them to feel spiritual about, I'm done with all of that stuff. I'm done just holding meetings. We have to build something, a branch that God, by the way of the Holy Spirit, wants to land on. But if we're gonna do that, we have to be real. We have to choose the real over the religion. How many want something real and authentic? How many truly want a, a move of God in their own lives? Aren't you tired of going home and not being able to bring the presence of the Lord with you? 
but we don't pay the price. Kathleen Coleman said it like this with her long finger. I quote it all the time. It costs everything. If you really want to know the price, it'll cost you everything. If you will sacrifice your life privately, he will allow you to have his presence publicly. If you'll pay the price. And here's what you have to ask yourself. Do you want to move people or do you want to move him? When you move him, people will get moved. See? But we get it backwards. But do you see what we see these days? And I'm not knocking the church. I'm not one of those voices crying in the wilderness wanting to knock pastors and ministers. No, that's not. I just want to challenge the body of Christ to get real and authentic once again. Because there was a day. There was a day when you had women in the long dresses with buns in their hair and they would pace the floors until you seen streaks on the floors from them walking back and forth. They were praying until the fire came. They wouldn't allow meetings to be ended. People would leave the pulpit and they would say, I'm not gonna preach until I feel the unction of the Holy Spirit. But you know what we got now? We dust off our old sermons and we just preach our old ones because we ain't got the unction of the Holy Spirit. Oh, see, we don't talk like that no more. I gotta have something for the people. This is the kind of language of churchianity. If God ain't saying nothing, we ain't going to preach. If we're not feeling the unction, we're not going to do it. Come on, amen? But we got to sometimes be like Smith Wigglesworth, and he said this, if, I don't, if I'm not moved by the Spirit, I stir the Spirit. Come on, Jude said it, stir up the gift, or the, excuse me, that was Paul, stir up the gift that is within me. Somebody say, choose the real over the religion. And so five, for 500 plus years, the very thing that the religious leaders feared and revered was gone, yet they went through their religious rhetoric. Did anybody ever stop to think? I, I was thinking this. Did they ever just stop and think for one moment? Where did the glory of God go? Where, where did he go? Do you ever stop to yourself and think when you leave a, a church meeting? Where was God? Do you know most meetings, my, my wife will tell you, Sundays are the worst day for me. I look forward to them the most, but they're sometimes the worst day. Sometimes I go home and I pull the covers over my head. If I see somebody who's not saved or I don't see somebody who's moved upon by the Holy Spirit, somebody's not, not, not impassioned with God when we have a meeting because I think to myself, why should we have these meetings if people aren't being impacted? But thank God we are seeing people impacted. But this should be the heart of the church, not just the minister. And do you know what the Holy Spirit told me? This is recent and this is for you all. This is a loving rebuke. He said, Donnie, I will not move upon this church if you're the only one wanting this. I believe the Lord has called me not to just, I don't like that label pastor, by the way, so if, you know, too much pressure. I'm your brother, but I am your brother to provoke you to godliness. I'm, I'm here to, to challenge us, to get, help us uh, give ourselves a real uh, evaluation. That's what the Bible says. It says, evaluate yourself or evaluate your life to see whether or not you're in the faith. You know how I know how, how to gauge myself spiritually? It's very easy. Look at your desires. Would you rather be on Facebook or whether, would you rather be in your prayer closet? Would you rather hang out with your friends or would you rather be? Not, and none of those things are bad. Facebook is not bad. It can be. Instagram is not bad, but it can be. But all I'm saying is when you weigh what you do in your practical, personal lives against what you do for the Lord and your time that you're spent with him, what outweighs? What outweighs? 
Somebody say, choose the real over the religion. I was ruined in the beginning from the very offset. I didn't get saved. I remember I have tattoos all over me if you, if you didn't know that, but I was young and got my last tattoo. I was about 17 years old. I was a heathen. I was a drug dealer and I was come off the streets and I was saved supernaturally, literally. The Lord, I had a visitation and that's a whole other story. I'll get into that another day. But I started going to a church where this was not just regular church. Every time I would walk in there, you can, your knees would start to knock. I can't even, I, I don't see that. I didn't really, you don't realize, you don't realize it's revival until it's no longer there. I just thought, man, this is amazing. I went to this church and the glory of God every, every single Friday night, they would have Friday night services. And you would walk in there at seven o'clock, your knees would be knocking and you would be on your face and you would wake up 11 o'clock at night and you're looking at your watch like, where did time go? See, we go in services now where we look at our watch to see when it's time to go. But when the Lord really shows up, time is not of the essence. It goes by quickly. And so I started thinking to myself, Lord, we really need to return the ark. I'm spiritually speaking, right? Not the physical ark, but I'm I'm speaking of God's presence bringing his presence back into our services, provoking him in such a way through worship that, that provokes him to come and visit his church once again, to empower her, to equip her, to cleanse her, to raise her up for such a time as this. But as I would go through to those church meetings, the Lord was showing me that this is the kind of lifestyle you have to live. And so that's where that, that burden got placed deep on the inside of me, a hunger for his presence. I wasn't hungry for religion. I wasn't hungry for a one-man show. I wasn't hungry for any of those other things. I just wanted to have God's presence in my life. How many want that? Secondly, if we're going to bring the Ark of the Covenant back, here's how we do it. There has to be a dependence once again on his presence. Can I tell you this? Too many people depend on their giftings instead of his presence. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's by what? It's by his spirit, not your spirit. It's not by might. It's not by power, but it's by his spirit. And Joshua got this revelation. Now watch this. Joshua. Everybody say Joshua. When I read that about him going into battle in Joshua that I just read a little earlier, did you know that they wouldn't even engage in battle without the Ark of the Covenant, which speaks of God's presence? He wouldn't even go into battle. And the times that they left the Ark of the Covenant at the tent of meeting before battle, do you know what would happen? They would lose the battle. They would lose the battle. The priests would carry the Ark of the Covenant, and it was the first thing that went before them into battle. What am I trying to say? Is many of us are in seasons of our lives losing battles, and it's not because God doesn't love you. It's because you're not carrying his presence. We have lost, we have lost the ark in our lives. Why do I say this message will touch every area and solve every issue in your life? Because listen, the presence of God comes to solve issues and problems, right? It comes to empower you. The presence of the Lord empowered them in the battle. And in the days that they decided, hey, we're going to do this in our own strength, they begin to lose the battle. It's not that God doesn't love you. It's not that you're not equipped to win the victory or the battle that you're facing even right now. The issue is, do you have the ark in your life? Do you have God's presence permeating and in your life? And if you don't, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. 
But we have to begin to make room for that again. And we have to be, listen, God only, the Holy Spirit, he is meant to be dependent upon, dependent upon. Say dependent. dependent. We have to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And there are areas of your life where God will not allow you to gain victory until you get this tool, until you understand this principle. But we have to get back to his presence. We have to make room for his presence once again. I don't know about you, but there are areas of my life right now. There's areas in this church. I know we cannot go forward without the ark. We can't go forward without the presence. You ought to say amen. amen. And they refused to go. They, remember what they said? I will not go unless your presence goes with me. That's why he sent the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day. But even in Christendom, Christianity, we have Christians who only follow the cloud on Sunday morning. We have to do more than follow a sermon. We have to do more than follow a schedule. If we follow the Spirit, we'll follow all those things, but we have to follow the pillar of fire. We have to follow. We have to allow the ark, say the presence of God. Capital P. We have to follow the presence of God, and this is where our victory lies. Is anybody getting anything out of this? Do not fall victim to or trapped to. The reason my wife was crying is not because she's living a sinful life. Is that oftentimes because of our busy schedule, it's so easy to begin to depend upon your own strength. But as soon as you do that, if you watch the pattern of your own life, as soon as you begin to grow less dependent upon the Holy Spirit and more dependent on yourself, the more stressed you get the more fearful you begin to get. You begin to fear about the future more and more. You begin to try to figure out things on your own. How am I going to get a job? How, where am I going to move? What am I going to do about this? My kids are going crazy. When the presence of God is not with you, it's not because he leaves you. We leave him. <laughs> we leave him. We, we move. He never moves. He never leaves or forsakes. He's the same yesterday, only yesterday, today, and forever. I pray that we build a church community that, that, both, that incorporates the presence of God in every sphere, in both the sacred and the secular. And then when we bring the presence of God into the secular, meaning our job, it becomes sacred. It's only secular when it's void of the presence of God. Did you hear what I said? You know how we all separate certain things? Come on, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's certain relationships that you have. They may not be bad, but they're more secular. And you talk different. Like you, you, but then when you talk to your Christian friend, your prayer partner, all of a sudden you have this Christianese thing going. And then when you talk to your secular friend, it's like just plain talk. Come on, y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. Or when you go to your job, you're super spiritual and you walk in the sanctuary on Sunday morning and you, how you doing? Blessed and highly favored. Come on. Should have bought a Honda. You act like you need somebody to interpret your tongues while you're talking to somebody else. But then when you go into the workforce, you get looking like you ate a lemon. All of a sudden, you're not so spiritual. You guys know what I'm talking about. We have to incorporate the presence of God in all of those mundane things. I paint for a living. I still really enjoy it after 20 years. So I, I work full-time for those of you who don't know. 
Uh, I work full-time and I pastor full-time. And, and Joel said this stood out to him. I may, may or may not have uh, told this story, but we bought this paint rig. We call them rigs. This is a, a, a painter slang. Uh, it's a machine. It's a gas-powered machine. It was a few thousand dollars, and we had bought one new. And um, before we even brought it out of the box, or no, we did bring it out of the box, and we all gathered around it, and we all laid hands on it. And we said, thank you, Lord, that this thing will have longevity, that it's electric. Y'all think I'm crazy, but my machines last forever. You know, just like the children of Israel, shoes didn't wear out, clothes don't wear out, and all that stuff still fits. I still got machines from many, many years ago, but we laid hands on it. And Joel said, I've never seen nobody do that before. Our, our media guy, his name is Joel. So he went and bought him a machine. And he told me the other day, Matt, he said, I laid hands on my machine. I took, I took your advice. He's turning something secular into the sacred. Why? Because we have to return the ark to every aspect of our lives. You know, there's some people who have their faith only operates in the church building, but when they go home in their marriage, it don't operate no more or on their job, but the ark has to rest in every sphere of our lives. The presence of God, he wants, to, he wants to not invade because he's a gentleman. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman, but he wants to permeate every area of our lives. Amen? Amen. Say invite, invite. The, Holy the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, presence of God. Into, both into both the secular, the secular. and the sacred. Come on, in your marriage, on your job, in your health, in your wounded heart, in your relationships. Come on, in raising your grandchildren, in raising your children, and in, 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 in even in, you know, even if they're not there, you know, even if you're not talking to your kids and the relationship is strained. Come on, welcome the Lord into that situation, in your business. Come on, on your job where you have that difficult boss, every aspect of your life, we have to get the ark back. We especially need it back in the church because God wants us to be dependent. Say dependent. He wants us to be dependent on his presence. He doesn't want us to be independent of it. And he doesn't want us to merely go through the religious motions of life without him being invited into every sphere. Could it be the reason, reason that we're losing some of the battles that we're facing right now is because we haven't invited the ark, as I said before, could it be? Could it be the reason that that marriage is failing? Could it be the reason that that job is not working out? It's not because it wasn't God's will. Does it lack the ark? Does it lack the presence of God? Could it be the reason that ministry has failed or is failing is not because God didn't call you to it, but because the ark has left the building? Could it be that there's health issues? Maybe not. That's not always the case, but could it be that uh, th that thing is persisting simply because you haven't asked the presence of the Lord to permeate your life, to bring about healing? Come on, do we still believe that God is a healer? Yeah. Spiritually, physically, financially, every aspect. Amen? I want to read this uh, to you. Jeremiah 29, verse 13. Jeremiah 29, verse 13. It says, and you will seek me and find me when you... Seek me with a piece of your heart. Oh, it says all of your heart. Oh, sorry, I misread that. That was the DSV version, Donnie Smith version. Oh, that, you're right. It says, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Can I share something very, very personal? Can I do that? Lately, I've been deeply convicted of a sin in my life. And I'll tell you what this sin is. 
We, we don't have any bones. We don't have closets that have bones, by the way. If you've been coming here for a while, you know that about me. I'm very transparent, very honest. And my heart had been heavy, and I've been searching for God. God, where are you? Because here's what I have found out in my relationship with him. Where he's at in my life, one month, he moves. That sounds, I'm not weird. Hear me out. The reason the children of Israel missed him is because he moved. He was no longer behind the veil. He was no longer there. But they didn't move with him. See? He was no longer at the tent of meeting. He doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. This is, the Bible. is that what the Bible says? He doesn't dwell in temple made with hands? It means he dwells in our inward man. And so here was the sin. Is I kept trying to just read the word and come to our prayer meetings. And I still pray every morning I get up before my feet hit the ground. I'm dressing in the whole armor. But it started getting repetitive. And I could rehearse it. You know it's religious when you can rehearse it. You know it's religious when you're no longer moved by tears. You know you're being religious if your heart is not moved anymore. Oh, I'm preaching good. You know you're just going through the motions when you have sin in your life and can come in the sanctuary and you not even feel a thing, not a sense of conviction. It's religion. It's I'm able to do this without feeling it. That's religion. I can go through the religious motions without feeling the Holy Spirit, without feeling conviction. And so my sin was, was this, and this to me is the greatest sin. Sorry, Lord, for not paying the price to do something new just to find you. That's right, because he says, and you will seek me when you search for me. You will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Let's be honest. Some of us don't, can't find the energy to start pursuing God more fervently. But can I tell you this this morning? If you can't find him in the church building, go home and get in your prayer closet. If you can't find him in your prayer closet, find him through your prayer partner. Come on, call somebody who you know knows how to call down heaven in your life. If you can't find him when you're reading the word and doing all of these other little religious things, start fasting. I'm saying do anything that you can to get back, to find him because he doesn't, you, he cannot be found through half-hearted pursuits. He's only found with fervency. He's only found when you search for him with all of your hearts. In other words, it takes some effort on our behalf to find God. I see some people, sometimes they come in here and they, they fold their hands. If you're sitting down folding your hands, I know you're probably just cold, but I'm talking about people who during worship, they have this going on. And this is, if you've been a preacher for any amount of time, here's how we interpret those tongues. Give it to me, preacher. See what you can do, you know? Yeah, let's see where this bullet's gonna land. You got one silver bullet, and I'm not coming back next time if you don't give me a word. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You've got one shot, pastor. You know what? I intentionally don't prophesy to them. You know why? Even if the Lord, if the Lord really have to share something with me for me to go out of my way. Why? Because they're here for, for just a hit. We don't say that, but we go to churches to get hits sometimes. That's why we go to conferences sometimes. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with doing those things, but if you're only seeking to get something out of it instead of going and seeking to give him something from you, come on, that's called worship. But a lot of times we come, we just give it to me. Give me a word. Feed me. And then, but that never ends. That's the problem with it is you always need more. 
You always need a greater word. You always need a healing. You always need this or that. But we have to be people who are more concerned about getting his presence than receiving anything. Come on. That deserves a hand clap. You can, hand, you can clap your hands for that. Clap for Jesus. Thirdly, and I'll end soon, but thirdly, thirdly, I want to talk about the power of presence. This is why it's so critical. This is so critical, especially the day that we're living in, because religious words will not save your unsaved loved ones. It won't do it anymore. Beating them over the head with the Bible, I did that. I spent a decade doing that. I don't even get invited to rallies with my family anymore. You know, I'm much more gentler these days, though. But I've tried that. I've tried to win people through, you need to do this, you need to do that. People these days are only going to respond to the power of the Holy Spirit that's upon your life. Give me evidence of the indwelling. Show me in your lifestyle. Show me, show me that when you pray for somebody, somebody actually gets healed. Show me that you can, come on, you've got enough restraint of the Holy Spirit so that you don't, you don't just let anything roll off of your lips. Oh, y'all want me to make it practical this morning? Give me evidence of the indwelling presence of your Holy Spirit in my life. Because there's, there, there's, there, there's, there's nece it's necessary for us to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit these days. You used to be able to just invite people to church and they want to come to church because they just want to live holy or have a social club to be a part of. That no longer is going to do. Not the day and age in which we're living. And we need the demonstration of the Holy Spirit with power and with signs and wonders among us. Does anybody believe that this morning? Then how often I've wondered if this is the reason the people, the people kept the presence of God at arm's length is because they could live however they wanted. Do you understand what I mean? This is, did you know the children of Israel, they chose to put priests in place? Did you know that? If you read in the Old Testament... God didn't want his people to have kings. He didn't want his people to have prophets. Am I talking to anybody? I thank God for prophets and prophetic voices and the gifts of the Spirit. But do you know that why that was put in place? Because the people didn't want to meet God face to face. They wanted to keep him at an arm's length. God didn't want kings. He didn't want people ruling us. He didn't even want a government. Yeah, that'll get messed with your theology. He wanted to dwell with his people face to face, but because we didn't want to pay the price privately, because we wanted to do our own thing. Because you can't have the indwelling of the presence of God. You can't have the ark in your life and do what you want. There's a cost. It costs, say it everybody, it costs everything. There's a price. It costs much but it's worth the cost. Somebody say power of presence. Power of his presence. And you'll gain much more with his presence in your life than the, how do I say this, Lord? Give me words to say. His presence will require something of you. If you want that, there's a price that you have to pay, but what you have to let go of is worth way less than what you will gain. 
clean hands and a pure heart. Those are the people. The pure in heart, I just heard that scripture. The pure in heart shall see God. And so there's some things that we have to do. I hear this greasy grace message going everywhere. Oh, just, I heard, I had somebody message me. I'm not gonna repeat it. He may be watching me um, online right now. Wealthy and a very good person. And um, he made a comment to me that he could continue to live in the same lifestyle uh, because of certain reasons. And I just thought my heart was so grieved, so grieved because there is a price to pay. Yes, Jesus paid it all. But if you want all that Jesus paid for, you're going to have to pay a price. See, we don't talk like that anymore. It's available, but it's not just readily accessible at your own uh, at your own leisure or whenever you want it, there is a price that you have to pay. Amen? And sometimes that means increasing your prayer life. Sometimes that means of letting go of certain things. And then you find out when you do end up letting those things go you, and you end up getting what, you, you end up receiving more than what you lost. Not only that, but you end up seeing that those things were nothing in the first place. It wasn't your true heart's desire. I remember praying for some things that God answered the prayers and he did that just to show me that I really never wanted it. I know old country song. I, th I think about it right now. Garth Brooks, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Some of you older people, that was the 90s. I'm messing with some of the young people are like, huh, what's that? How many remember that? I'm all for counseling. God knows. Rick knows. I'm all for counseling. I'm all for inner healing and all of that. I stand firm in that. But there's some things that only the presence of God can deal with. And we need a demonstration of his presence and power in our lives in such a way. Because you can't counsel a demon out. It's got to be cast out. Amen. It's cast out by his presence. And yes, that can happen in a counseling room. Absolutely. But it takes his presence and his power. And when we don't have prescription for it, what we do, when we, when we, when we, can't, we don't carry that kind of power, what we have to do is we have to bring them and shove pills down their throat to medicate it to medicate the demon or to medicate whatever problem it is because we don't have the power to deal with it. That hurts, doesn't it? <laughs> Hallelujah. But you know what? We have to take right evaluations of our lives so that it provokes us to godliness, so that it provokes us to seek his face like never before. Amen? And lastly, and you can stand to your feet. His power, his presence, when the ark returns to our lives, say the ark. the ark, it'll take a murderer named Saul and turn him into a man of God. It'll take a wayward girl and make her pure and holy. It'll take a person who is directionless in their life, and they'll realize that God's word is a lamp unto their feet and a light unto their path, and they will receive the direction they need all because of his presence. His presence solves every problem. I heard a minister the other day, his church is growing faster than, I wouldn't say he could handle, but it's certainly growing in leaps and bounds, and so some evaluators from different church organizations came in, and they said, um, how do you get the people to worship longer than 30 minutes. Like, that's a no-no. Because you lose them, you know. You don't want them to drown. God forbid. You know, you don't want to get, let them get lost in their thoughts. 
I'm being super sarcastic. Forgive me later, I'm not perfect. And they said, you know, this is like death to a church, worshiping longer than 30 minutes. And they said, um, why, why, why would you risk that? Why would you do that? And, and he, said, he said, I didn't know. I didn't know we were doing this for people. I don't have an hour worship service for people. I, I just, I, we want to have an hour of worship. I'm, I'm looking at him. I don't even, I try not to look back. If people are there, they're there. I mean, I'm not here to, we're here to love him. And, and when you come, you should come to love him and look to him. There's many of us who have a prophetic gift, but let me tell you something. If you want that too much, it's almost like he won't allow the gift to operate because he wants you to look at him. And when you look at him, you get it. See? But we can't look at the person with the gift. We have to look at the gift giver. And, and I'm learning something about God. I'm learning. I'm, I'm learning. Nudge somebody and say, you know, you're still in process. Still learning. I'm learning when I, when I meet his need to be adored and loved. When I'm at his feet, every once in a while, he'll lift my head and give me what's in his hand. But when I come after his hand, his hands stay in his pockets. And the atmosphere seemingly stays stale. But every once in a while, I'm learning, I'm learning to be at the master's feet. And what, what else happens? The more we've been seeking him longer and longer, Angelique and I were having a conversation. We were supposed to start off with this fast song, but we're learning, we're learning. And I'm so glad she didn't start with that song. I, I, said, I said, listen, she said, I felt the Lord. And she said, I knew if we would have shifted gears and went into that song, we would have lost him. And I said, you know what? And I'm learning that when I've went into those songs and stuck with my service, service order, he never came back that service. D does any mature Christians know what I'm talking about? If you make the wrong move with the dove in the room, he just, he wanted to continue to go deep and then you wanted to create a fast song to hype everybody up, but at the expense of losing the ark. We can't afford it. We can't afford living without out the ark in our lives. Look at someone and say, you can't afford to live without the ark. Lastly, and I'll let you go, I promise. It's okay. Contend for the ark. Contend for the ark. You know, I didn't pay any attention to that because movements matter when the presence of the Lord is in the room. people come in here, I want to teach you. Can I teach you something for just one moment? When you've got people crying out, there's nothing wrong with crying out. I love it. It's the sound of revival. But if there's only one person doing that and everybody else is loving on them, it's a distraction. It's a distraction. See, we can't allow things to distract because what happens is it quenches the Holy Spirit. Quenches the move of the Holy Spirit. Say, contend for the ark. The presence of God will not come without a fight in your life, Maria. And there's some of you who are in the fight for your life this morning. 
think about it every time you attempt to worship God. Your phone rings. Your mind gets bombarded with the 101 things that you have to do after service or before you go to church. And the enemy doesn't mind you coming to church and going through the religious motions. He doesn't want you to connect with God. He doesn't want you to connect with his presence. Look at Psalms chapter 16, verse 11. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand is pleasure forevermore. One of the first things, as I close this, one of the first things, if you read the Psalms, when David walked into his his leadership role as king, what did he bring back? He didn't even make the first command over Israel. He didn't do anything. This is what he did. He brought back the Ark of the Covenant. That's what he did. He went and he found where it was stolen and he brought it back to the house of the Lord. Somebody say, bring back the Ark. He knew better than to build a kingdom without it. In church, I want to tell you, you have to know better than to build your own kingdom without his presence. If you try to build a marriage without his presence, if you try to build a business without his presence, if you try to build your position in his kingdom, if you try to build your ministry without his presence, it will fail unless the Lord builds the house. labor in vain who build it. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.